You are listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we are working to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear good news and as we scatter to share it. Jesus' resurrection is your present and future hope. As our song said this morning, already you have been raised with Him to eternal life, right? To endless life with God. That resurrection fact is true, not only in history for Jesus, but right now for you and for me, despite the fact that as Paul says over and over and again in the text, we have not yet fallen asleep. We have not yet succumbed to death. And yet the resurrection is still true and real for us right here, right now. Let me pray for us real quick. Father God, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that through this word and by your spirit, you would be uh, softening our hearts, opening our ears, opening our eyes. Uh, And Lord, that as you do that, that we would uh, wisely look to you, that we would wisely look to your son Jesus, not only as our future hope, but as our present hope. And that we would be learning more and more to lean on, to trust in, to rely upon Jesus and Jesus alone for all that we are and for our whole future. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. What do we need to know about Corinth? Because we've been going through Luke. So why would I take us to Corinth? This is an important one. It's an important one for a couple of reasons. Uh, We've got a lot of new people in church, which I'm thankful for. Um, And here's what you need to know. Uh, There's one thing that I preach on a Sunday morning. It's a repeated message. It gets recycled over and over and over again. But I do this clever little thing where I put up a different big idea every week, which basically says the exact same thing. And I do that for a reason, right? Because as Christians, we don't just believe that the good news is something that saves us once and then we get to move on to higher and deeper things, but rather we need that good news repeated into our ears every day if you can get it, every day if you've got a preacher living with you, right? Every day if you've got someone in your family that can remind you that is preached, proclaim that good news to you when you are struggling and in doubt, But each and every week, especially because each and every week, we are prone to wander away from that good news and begin to rely upon ourselves. And that's exactly what's happened here in Corinth. In Corinth, um, and it doesn't come out really until 2 Corinthians, everything that's going on, but here in 1 Corinthians, we have Paul writing to a church that he has intimate knowledge of. He has preached the gospel to them. In fact, he would say that's the only thing he preached to them. The good news of Jesus for their salvation. That was the message that he brought to them. That was the message that he taught to him. That was the message that he used to look at all of God's word and say, this is why all of this word is important because Christ died for your sins on the cross. So, so it's true with Anchored Baptist Church. 
Another reason why I preach this same message each and every week is because this is the one thing that we don't want to stray away from. Along the line, yes, we should be learning very many things, right? But this is the one thing that we want to be sure that we're focused on. And this is what defines everything that we do here at Anchored Baptist Church. Unfortunately, as can happen with any and all churches, and does happen in the life of all churches at some point or another, exactly what's happening in Corinth. People have gotten a little bit distracted. Now, it's easy to understand, don't get me wrong. Corinth is a big city. It's a metropolis. It's, a, it's an urban place. And with Corinth being an urban place, you get all the glories of the city. Right? What happens in cities? Uh, cities become places where there's lots of different cultures thrown into a big mixing pot. Right? In some ways, a city is a beautiful picture of what that, that one-day garden city that we're looking forward to when God recreates all things and places us in our forever home where we will be forever present with Him. A city, in many ways, is can be a beautiful picture of that garden city that is to come. Uh, a place where all, all kinds of people, right? All, every nation, tribe, and tongue is represented there. What happens there? Man, you get culture, you get music, you get delicious food. You get all sorts of great things in the city. And yet we also know what happens in the city. It happens everywhere. But the cities are a magnified version of this, right? Where you have cultures coming together and so there's conflict. You have uh, people from even within cultures that have different backgrounds and therefore there's conflict even within culture groups. And all of a sudden you realize there's no unity here. And then what happens in a city, we all know, eventually at some point you have to start looking out for number one. you got to start, wa- start watching out for yourself because no one else is going to do it for you. And this is where the ugliness of the city comes in. This is where the ugliness of Corinth comes in. Here, we've got all kinds of problems in Corinth. We've got all sorts of of, uh, sexual sin taking place, of which Paul says, not even pagans get involved in this type of thing, right? Um, uh, We have uh, issues of... um, we're, We're not quite sure yet. We're thinking that they might be false teachers, false apostles. But let's just say this, they're teaching enough of the truth that some of the other things that they're teaching kind of go unnoticed. This is happening in Corinth. And so it's not until 2 Corinthians that Paul really calls them out when their ministry has started to bear fruit and he realizes they're not the best of teachers. Um, What else is happening? We've got issues where people have decided that God the Holy Spirit has given them certain gifts which any gift that you receive from God is meant to be used for the uplifting and the the building up of the whole church community for that person sitting next to you. But instead, what the believers in Corinth have chosen to do is that they have decided to instead say, ah, but my gift is higher than your gift. Therefore, I'm a better person. Uh, Some people have decided to... uh, 
show up a little bit early uh, for the Lord's Supper, for the meal that's offered at the end of the service, and to uh, maybe take indulge just a little too much, right? So now we have drunkenness in church, and we also have the, the hoarding of food in church taking place. Needless to say, uh, if there was one word that I would use to describe what's happening in Corinth, I would say selfishness. Which, historically speaking, is how the church has defined sin. The church throughout church history has gone back to at least this one sort of roundabout definition of sin, and that is to say, when you are curved in on yourself. It's these thumbs pointing back at number one to say that I'm the most important person. And when that happens, you also start to treat everything like there's a scarcity. You know what I mean by this word scarcity? There's not enough to go around. Which is why people are trying to use their gifts for all it's worth in the here and now for themselves. Which is why people are showing up to the Lord's Supper and not sharing with everybody else. Which is why people are deciding to dive into sexual pleasure that God has said, that's not for you. Here, in the midst of the church in Corinth, it seems as though things have gotten a bit turned around. And yet, you know the the beautiful thing that Paul calls them at the beginning of 1 Corinthians? He says, to the saints that are in Corinth. Really? (laughs) They don't look like saints. This is like Jesus looking at the crowds and saying, you're blessed, period. This is like the psalmist saying, um, "You blessed is the man who goes against everything that's going on in the world around him. That's not going to go well for him. And yet, in God's eyes, that is going well for that person. Um, one person that has studied church history a whole lot more than me, his name is Larry Hurtado. And I don't usually say names. I say his name simply because he's done a lot more work than anyone that I know of. And he points out five things that the early church was known for. The first of which is that it was a multi-ethnic and multicultural community. All right? Hear what I'm saying? So everyone else brought in their family gods, their ancestral gods, their national gods, and they stayed in their own little groups and they worshipped them. Whereas Christians set aside their nationality and their family and their ancestors. Of course, you can't get away from it. It's still written all over you. You don't need to run away from it. But what they understood was there is one true God. And they came together and worshipped that one true God who revealed Himself in perfect love through the work of Jesus. And so the early church, speaking specifically now of like one, uh, pre-100s to 100, 200, 300, okay? That's what we're talking about. Uh, being multi-ethnic and multicultural. Uh, also, it was a community that was based upon forgiveness and reconciliation. Uh, which sounds pretty good. This is what everyone wants to aspire to these days, right? And yet, this was really happening. 
People were actually forgiving one another, actually reconciling with one another, which is what you have to do when you have people from multiple culture groups sitting in a room together. It would be impossible to not have forgiveness and reconciliation and have that be happening at the same time. But it's particularly weird because every culture in this area, in this, the whole world, was honor and shame oriented. That is, if you do something that the community likes, you are honored. And if you do something that your community hates, you are shamed. And the Christians said none of that. It's forgiveness and reconciliation. Also, the church was known for showing hospitality to the poor and to the suffering, which we have evidence of in the book, in, in 1 Corinthians, this letter to the church in Corinth. Uh, two more things. Uh, one being that human life was sacred, which is why Christians were advocates for saving the lives of infants and also saving the lives of the elderly and the sick and the oppressed. And then lastly, and this was particularly unique and something that the church in Corinth was not living up to, despite the fact that they were called blessed by God, that they are saints, and that is that they, there was the understood expectation that marriage was important and that marriage was between a man and a woman. And then you stayed with that one man or woman. These were five things that set aside the early, set aside the early church from the whole rest of the world around it. And here in Corinth, we start to see all of these things falling apart. And not only that, not only have they kind of missed the boat, they've forgotten what they're supposed to be doing together as a community. They've also forgotten the first thing that they were taught. What does Paul say? Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, the good news that I preached to you, which you received, you believed it, you understood it, and you trusted in Christ for your salvation. It's in that good news that you stand. It's in that good news that you are being saved even now. It wasn't this one-time thing. It's this ever-present truth. This moment, you're being saved by Jesus. This moment into the future, you're being saved. Ten minutes from now, you're still going to be being saved by Jesus, Paul is saying. It's in that thing that you stand. It's in that thing that you believe. And it's in that thing only that's going to keep on saving you. That is, unless you believed with no purpose at all. You actually didn't know what was going on. You didn't trust in Christ. If you had some sort of ulterior motive into coming into this community. For I delivered to you as of number one importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the plan of God, according to the Scriptures, according to the plan that's been written out throughout all of the Bible that we have, right? Uh, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. This is something that's not in the present, just in case you were wondering. This was uh, to the readers in Corinth. 
all of those people that assault Jesus, most of them were still alive. They're not still alive today. That's not what he's saying. Although some have fallen asleep. Okay, at this point, all of them have fallen asleep. It, Paul's not trying to be cute here. Uh, He's not trying to give a cute little euphemism for death. You know what a euphemism is? It's when you say a word, uh, like, for instance, oh, well, that person passed away. Well, that's a pagan notion, just for the record. It's okay if you say it. I say it too sometimes. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um, that's, that's trying to soften the blow of saying death. Because we want to avoid death, right? Because when someone dies, that reminds us, well, I'm going to die. But when someone passes away, it's like, oh, well, that's nice. It's not nice. It's bad. Is that what Paul's doing? Is he trying to soften the blow? No. What happens when you go to sleep? Hopefully. You wake up, right? What happens when you lie down each and every morning? You get resurrected to a new day, right? And this is the picture that Paul's painting for us. Those people, they have fallen asleep. They have laid down in the grave, but one day they're going to rise up out of that grave. This is what Paul is saying. And then he appeared to, a, to James and to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Um, this is, I don't want to get into this, but this is kind of a funny little thing that Paul's doing here. Uh, Paul's really important, and Paul knows that he's an important figure throughout the course of the writing of Scripture, okay? He knows that his letters are being read as God's Word. And he's not just trying to play humble. Paul is actually being humble here, okay? He's understanding that he is a fallible and broken person, just like all the Corinthians that he is writing to. And yet, God is using him, and that's the point of what he is saying. Untimely born because he did not meet Jesus in person until Jesus had already ascended, and Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And here's where we get to the meat of our text for this morning. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Um, well, that seems like an easy question to answer, right? Because they don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Or, maybe it's something less than that even. Maybe it's that the resurrection is not something that they look forward to. Maybe, just maybe, like Everything else in their lives is evidencing they are so caught up in themselves that they have somehow forgotten that one day they will die. And when they die, they're going to need a hope outside of themselves. They're going to need something outside of themselves that will give them life endless that will give them the ability to rise up from the grave and be with God forever. And yet maybe like you and me, and like these Corinthians here, this is something that's easy to forget because whew, my life is intense. I'm busy. 
I am important. I'm struggling to get by and I'm going to keep scraping and then I'm going to finally get what I deserve. Whereas Jesus, in the midst of all of our struggle and our scraping, and uh, whether it be poor in spirit or poor financially, whether it be hungry in spirit or hungry in the tummy, whether it be looked uh, poorly upon by the world around us or just not being noticed by the world around us, Jesus calls you blessed in that. He's not looking to some future day when you're being blessed He's looking to today. You are blessed and you have the promise of salvation with Jesus, would say, with me. Okay. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So if you say there is no resurrection, then not even Jesus is raised up from the dead. Paul's trying to shake them awake. He's saying, do you understand the importance of this? And if Christ has not been raised, then everything that we're preaching is pointless. And in fact, this thing that you call faith is pointless. This thing that God gave to you through His Word, proclaimed to you, this faith, pointless. We are even found to be misrepresenting God what is Paul saying? Look, everyone during this day would have respected gods or God. Right? And yet, everyone that is coming in from the, from the world into the church here in Corinth, they have now confessed that Jesus is God. That Jesus is King. That Jesus is their Savior. Right? And so, he's saying to them, Look, your, your idea of who God is before you came into this, this gathering, if we're saying that Jesus raised from the dead, but you say the resurrection isn't true, then we're lying about God. That's a big deal. We're misrepresenting who God is. Because we testified about God that He raised, that he raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true, that the dead are not raised. That is to say, if resurrection isn't real, then none of this is real, right? It's all in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also, the, the, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. There's a now famous, maybe you heard it, maybe you didn't hear it, but two people that wanted to have a discussion about whether Christianity was real. And um, this was on YouTube, it was streamed on YouTube, I think it was like three hours long, it was a big deal. And the, un, the non-Christian person in the, in the thing, who I'm not, okay, I'm not going to say anything mean about either of the people, sorry, I almost did it, but I'm not going to. He said to the Christian guy, is there anything that would convince you that what you believe is false. And so, every good theologian sitting there saying, all right, say it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let him know that yes, there is a way to falsify our faith. And he says, no, nothing could ever make me not believe. To which the Apostle Paul rolled over in his... No, just joking. Paul's with Jesus, right? Um, the Apostle Paul would say, no, if the resurrection isn't real then all of this is fake. 
If the resurrection wasn't real, then all of this is fake. So much so that if we are sitting in church and there are people that have died and we're still looking forward to just going and being with them, i.e. just dying, then what we're believing is, is worthless. So much so that if we're saying that we believe in Jesus and yet at the same time undercutting everything that Jesus did for us, then we are even more foolish than people that are out there like slicing the throat of a goat on top of an altar, altar to Mars right now. Okay? This is how crazy it is to give up on the resurrection. Um, when we read in the Gospel accounts of Jesus' resurrection, uh, these are not just simple stories that are told to us, but especially, and we've talked about it over and over again, when we get there in Luke's Gospel, we're going to have detail after detail after detail. Luke's going to go into great detail, as he does in all things. And why is he going to do it? Because he wants you to know this is actually something that happened on a particular day on this hill outside of Jerusalem. This actually happened. It wasn't a metaphor. It wasn't something that people dreamed up. Jesus was dead in the grave, and then Jesus was out of the grave, alive, and a bunch of people saw it. So many people saw it, in fact, that this rumor cannot be washed away. Too many people saw him for people to disbelieve it. And this is what Paul's telling us. I'm telling you exactly what I know and what I've been told by everybody else. Christ died for your sins, and on the third day, he was raised for your justification. But in fact, Paul says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those that have fallen asleep. What are these first fruits? Um, we have these strawberry plants right now. And I, I'm amazed, actually. They're actually growing strawberries. Tara and I do have a track record of not being able to grow things very well, other than babies, which we're thankful for. Uh, but like, you know, flowers and even our lavender. They always say, you know, you trim it in spring. But I'll tell you what, I, I, I trim it in spring, and it feels like it was the wrong time every year. So I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And these strawberries, I'll tell you what, we had these beautiful strawberries that came out first. And Sybil sneaks out there every chance that she gets and eats all the strawberries so that we can never share them with anybody. Okay? I say, hey, Maeve, that strawberry's got your name on it. And then 10 seconds later, I notice it's gone. And I see Sybil with the little stem hanging out of her mouth. And she just wants us to know that she really enjoyed it. She goes, mmm, mmm. Okay, yeah, thanks, Sibby. Um, that first fruit. I'll tell you what, when, when we got those first strawberries, I was amazed. I didn't actually think these things were going to take. And then we got this first strawberry. I was like, what? This is real. This is really happening right now. And now we've got like 20 strawberries on these tiny little plants that Sybil's probably going to eat them while they're still green so that no one else can have them. And yet this is the kind of first fruit that we're talking about here. This, the first thing that comes off that plant that you think, oh, this is just a, a weed, right? This thing's going to die and it'll be fine. And then the fruit pops out and you're like, what? 
This is exactly what happened with Jesus, actually. He was the first fruit of this new life. His new life, his resurrected life, is our evidence that one day, everyone that is called a saint, that is called blessed, that trusts, that rests in and relies on Jesus only for their salvation... Jesus' resurrection is the proof that your resurrection is true. And in fact, it's your resurrection right here, right now, not just the day that you die. It's the guarantee that your life is new right here, right now, and that will be proven to you on the day of your resurrection when you are made brand new all over, inside and out. Jesus' resurrection is your present and future hope. Which is why in the Apostles' Creed, each and every week, and in the Word made flesh, we are sure to confess together, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. When you go to a funeral, and the hope is that your loved one is in a happy place, or that your loved one is with your, your family that have already passed. This is hopeless, Paul is saying. When you go to a funeral and they say, we hope they lived a good life, Paul says, this is hopeless. Because I've got a lot of messed up, filthy sinners here in Corinth that are selfish sometimes, yes. And yet they are saints and they are trusting in Christ alone for their salvation. And they better not be trusting in their good works because it's a disaster over here. It is a disaster over here. And yes, they're going to get cleaned up a little bit. That's true. They are going to be transformed. That's true. But eventually the the church in Corinth is going to go. It's going to disappear, right? And what's their hope? That they were good people? No, their hope was in Christ only. Their hope was in the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection that they share with Him. At your funeral, I might not be your preacher. I, I might. You guys will probably all outlive me. Okay, all of you. Young ones, old ones, all of you. A preacher will stand up and declare to everyone that's there that your hope was in the resurrection. At least that's exactly what they should do. And that's what Paul would encourage them to do. Because it is your present and future hope. That you will be with Jesus in endless life and that one day you will be made completely new, sharing that life with Jesus and present with Him forever. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.